0: Everybody's doing well. It's quite warm outside. Hard uh, to believe it's November, and uh, we're in our in the fifties. But we're gonna enjoy while it lasts. Again, good to see you all. If you're new to our church, it's your first time uh, here joining us, or several times in, uh, but you're relatively new, uh, we're welcome. We welcome you uh, to our service. Uh, my name is Aidan. I'm the pastor of Covenant Life Church hope you're enjoying your time here, uh, enjoying the fellowship as well as worship of our great God. Um, So thank you again for joining us. Uh, We are uh, in the Gospel of Mark, and uh, the goal for this series uh, has been to go deeper in our knowledge and faith in Jesus Christ. And if you notice, it's quite interesting last week's passage and this week's passage that we're about to read and study uh, particularly focus on uh, you know how to deepen our faith in Jesus Christ it's almost as if God wants us to know uh, God wants us to have the guidance and how to go deeper in our faith so I hope and pray that God does use uh, these passages uh, these few weeks to indeed grow our faith it's an exciting thing that God cares for us in this way Uh, With that in mind, uh, would you turn your attention to today's passage? It's found in Mark 8, verses 14 through 21. I'll read that for us, and then I'll pray, and we'll jump right into our time together in the message. Mark 8, 14, 21. Here's God's word. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do not see, and having ears do not hear, and do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. The seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? That is the word of God. Uh, Please bow your heads with me. Let's pray one more time before we go any further. Heavenly Father, we come to you as we are there's nothing that we can do to add to what your son has done for us so we come to you this longing to receive your abundant grace as we hear your word and as we especially going to the Lord's Supper after this time of the word God we uh, long to uh, be filled to the brim or even overflow in our cups um by uh, your grace, by your love for us, so that none of us may leave this place today um, empty-handed. So Lord, uh, be with us, God, and uh, please be with me as I deliver your word. Uh, Help help me to uh, humbly uh, deliver uh, your word without adding or subtracting from your word. We look to you, God, focus our hearts on you by the work of your Holy Spirit. Prince Jesus' name. Amen. Let us go into our time together of the Word. Uh, there are three points, as usual, and those are the rebuke of the Lord, and the second, the faithfulness of the Lord. And the third, the remembrance of the Lord. The title for this sermon is the Lord of our faith. Again, just uh, keep in mind that this is about God wanting to increase our faith in him. First point, the rebuke of the Lord. Uh, Let me read for us verse 14. Uh, There Mark is setting up the scene for us as usual. He's a great storyteller and he wants to have the scene in mind of what's happening. Now, they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. So Jesus and the disciples are on their boat uh, on the Sea of Galilee. It's a lake. And if you remember uh, last week's passage, you know they were at first uh, in the, the Gentile area where uh, Jesus fed the 4,000, And then they traveled to a Jewish area where Jesus argued with the Pharisees. And that passage ended with uh, Jesus and the disciples leaving that Jewish region on their boat. And now here we are. They're in the middle of their voyage to the other side of the lake. And apparently, we don't know quite the detail yet, but apparently the disciples forgot to bring enough bread for the journey. So let's see where this leads. So we read verses 15 and 16. It says, And Jesus cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. So here Jesus is teaching the disciples a spiritual lesson in in verse 15. Uh, you know he's telling them to be aware of the attitude spiritual attitude of the pharisees and herod uh, you know the pharisees and herod were the most the two most uh, vocal and the most closed off and even antagonistic groups uh, towards jesus in book of mark thus far and to make his point jesus is using the image of leaven uh, how many bakers are here? Oh, yeah. Either you're really shy or there's really only two va- bakers in our, in our whole church, which is fine. Okay. Anyways, uh, leaven, I think these days, is a leavening agent that we use is the East. Yes, right? Um, the, the leaven at that time uh, was a prominent metaphor Uh you know, of that era, uh, it's, it's pretty simple. I mean, people at the time observed that the leaven permeated through the whole batch of dough to make it popped up, right? That's how we get pastries. And they thought, kind of, you know, theolog- uh, making it theological there, they thought that that's a good picture of how sin or sinful attitude can contaminate the whole person or the whole community of people. So clearly, Jesus is using that imagery to urge the disciples to guard against that sinful uh, attitude, sinful, destructive, uh, you know, unbelieving attitudes of the Pharisees and Herod. That's the point. But then, the disciples uh, seem to have been triggered by this one word, leaven. Uh, therefore, they miss the whole point of what Jesus was saying. The word leaven apparently reminded the disciples of the word bread. It makes sense. And that the the, the word bread reminded them of how they forgot to bring enough bread for the journey. Okay? They're distracted, and and Jesus responds to them with some harsh words. So we read uh, verses 17 and 18. It says, Jesus, aware of this, said to them, "Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do not see, and having ears, do not hear, and do you not remember?" You know, at first glance, uh, these words seem like you know, uh, just normal rebuke, rebuking words. Uh, but they do have deeper meanings if you uh, look into the you know each word and the context. Uh, first of all, two things here. First of all, the only people in the Book of Mark that Mark has described as hard-hearted were the Pharisees in in Mark three five. And secondly, the words you know, "having eyes do not see" and "having ears do not hear" uh, these come from Mark 4.12, where Jesus was describing, you know, people who had the closed-off attitude uh, towards him as outsiders. He described that to these outsiders, uh, Jesus would only give spiritual lessons in parables, you know, so he wouldn't give them full explanations, but only in parables, and they just don't care. So, why would Jesus waste his time in explaining the meanings in in their language. He only gave the lessons in parables, and therefore they would not get as much revelation from Jesus, and they would not, therefore, grow in their faith. And the Pharisees would fall into this category, outsiders. In contrast, the insiders in that passage were the people, like the disciples, who would stay with Jesus in private after these teachings and parables, And Jesus would, you know, give them further explanation and further revelation. And they, as a result, would grow in their faith. And now here's the irony then. In today's passage, Jesus is applying, you know, these words to his disciples. He's basically telling them that their faith is on the same level as the Pharisees. And to be really fair, that's a legitimate assessment. And here's why. Uh, two things. First, as we'll see in the later uh, in, in the passage, the disciples had some extraordinary experiences. They had just witnessed, you know, feedings of the 5,000 and 4,000. And they should have known by now that they don't need to worry about food they don't have to worry about how much food they should bring to the journey because with Jesus, that's always taken care of. But more importantly, you know they have also experienced other miracles and other teachings from Jesus. They should have known by now who Jesus was. Beyond him just being the genie in a bottle, giving them what they want, but as insiders who, who got all the teachings, they should have known that he's the Messiah and even God incarnate. But throughout the book of Mark, we see over and over these disciples not getting it, even with the privileged position, the insider position they had. Here, essentially then, Jesus is exposing the spiritual bankruptcy of the disciples. And here, here's what's interesting then. As Jesus is exposing them, their response is that you know, they only care about the bread. They only care about the outward spiritual credential. Um, meaning that when Jesus is telling them, hey, something's wrong with you inside, and they're saying, well, we messed up. You know, they're only concerned about how well and how much they're performing in front of Jesus. When Jesus is referring to their inward condition, all they hear is how much you know they should do outwardly. You see? For them, the spiritual life and the way you know they earn approval from Jesus is how much they accomplish with their own efforts. But Jesus cuts through all the illusion they have, and he gives them sober judgment that they're doing poorly spiritually inside, no matter what they're doing on the outside. And that's not because of, you know, their lack of spiritual uh, activities or performances, uh, but it's really because of what's in their hearts meaning they really don't know Jesus personally, and their life shows that faithlessness. My wife and I, before we moved to Minnesota, uh, we had bought bought our first house in Illinois, and we lived there for a few years. Uh, And there was a catch to this house. Uh, it was a foreclosed home when we bought it, which means uh, that the fr- previous owner of this house uh, could not pay their mortgage, so it became bank-owned, and uh, and the bank was trying to sell it with a cheaper price, and that's how we got it. So it was a cheaper price, and you know, we could afford it, and so it was good. But if you know about foreclosed houses, there are always some problems, because the previous owners... Do not take care of the house, you know, as well, or they just kind of intentionally leave it in bad condition after they, or before they get kicked out of the house by the bank. In our case, uh, you know, we were aware that there was a pipe problem with this house, but we were told that, you know, they fixed it. So, we didn't think too much about it. So, the only thing that we cared about, about this house was, the external. You know, we spent a lot of time painting and, you know, uh, hiring the contractor to, you know, take down the old furniture and, you know, all of that. Um, and it was a lot of fun too. Uh, and it turned out pretty good. And a lot of people you know, complimented, you know, how good it looked. But then, on this one fateful day, we walked in. And one of the water pipes broke and and leaked. And the second floor, ceiling, was like all the way down because the water was falling down to our kitchen floor. It was totally ruining the the whole scenery uh, of the house, really. The, The ceiling, the floor, and appliances, like everything. Did we cry? Inside, not outside. But it was not a good day. You see, we couldn't cover up the internal issue with the external renovations. Likewise, the disciples were doing the spiritual things, you know, preparing food or whatever for ministry on the outside to look acceptable, but from, you know, Jesus' vision, they were a broken house. There's a, there's a good lesson there for all of us, especially those of us who are believers and who are uh, doing various things for, for the Lord. I mean, to be sure, doing spiritual activities and serving God in various ways are beautiful things. You know, God you know, commands it. However, we cannot accurately measure somebody's spiritual health Based on how much or how well he or she uh, does those activities in and outside of church. The real measure is what's inside, which is do they know who Jesus is personally? Do they love him from their hearts? And are they growing closer to him day by day in relationship? And all of their spiritual activities must be done towards that goal, not without. If not, they will just be covering up their broken, flawed hearts that may burst at any time. The rebuke of the Lord that we are to heed. Second, the faithfulness of the Lord. So just now we heard uh, some harsh judgment from Jesus on the disciples. The question might be, okay, you know, what will the disciples' fate be now that they heard the judgment and rebuke? Here's some twists, so follow with me here. First, remember that they are on a boat. Do you see Jesus throwing these disciples you know, off the boat, saying, get out of here. You've failed. Where's your faith? Get out. No. None of that. They're staying with Jesus. They're still on the journey together, despite this judgment, despite these failures on the disciples' parts. And also, throughout the gospel of mark from beginning to the end really consistently jesus continues to treat these disciples as the insiders you know giving them you know persistent teaching and explanation of who he is and you know other spiritual lessons he never stops whether they are successful or not and lastly look with me to these two very important words that are repeated in this passage, and those are the words, not yet. Verses 17 and 21, it says, And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Verse 21, He said to them, Do you not yet understand? What that means is, this is the glorious truth, that His judgment that he just pronounced to the disciples who failed internally is temporary. You know, he's looking at their potential here, and he's looking at their future, saying they'll grow. They're not there yet, but they will grow. Meaning the harsh judgment was honest feedback from Jesus for them to grow from and see where they are and really learn from their mistakes. You see, Jesus never obliterates the distinction between the insiders and outsiders here. Unlike the Pharisees and other enemies of Jesus, Jesus is specially faithful to his disciples. No matter where they are in their faith journey, no matter how bad or often they fail, Jesus will never cast out his people. He will stay with them and persistently grow their faith with his word, and he will complete their faith. And here are some proof texts that you can hold on to. Let me give you three. John 6:37 through 39. It says, All that the Father gives me, Jesus, will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me and this is the will of him who sent me that I should not uh, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day 2 Timothy 2:13 if we are faithless he remains faithful Philippians six. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He remains faithful to you. No matter how awesome you're doing in your spiritual life, no matter how poor, he is faithful. There's a movie called Good Will Hunting, uh, which is one of my favorite movies. And it's a story about this 20-some-year-old guy named Will Hunting, played by Matt Damon. Uh, look how fresh he looks uh, back then. Uh, even now, too, but, I mean, you know. But he's a genius. So Will Hunting is a genius, uh, you know, and, and you know, he gets noticed by his intelligence. But he has some problems. He has a lot of legal troubles that he gets into, and he lives a less-than-average life in, in, in that um, area. He's working as a janitor at MIT, and he's discovered by this MIT professor who's so impressed by you know, what he can do with his you know, math skills and so on. But he, the professor knows about his problems, so he connects him to a mental health counselor named Sean, played by Robin Williams, and uh, the, the, the effort is to change Will's lifestyle. But throughout these counseling sessions, uh, Will is not very cooperative towards Sean. Uh, you know, Will keeps up this you know snarky, intelligent facade, and we find out later that he, he does that because he has some wounds from the past. Uh, so he pushes people away for fear of rejection, and he also mistrusts Sean and and you know his character, and he even berates. Sean, and he, you know, fails him in a variety of ways. So not a a good start and not a good uh, relationship, at at first at least. But we see Sean stays with Will. And and when everybody else has given up on Will, but Sean sees a potential in him. In the end, you know, Sean heals Will by showing Will Love and acceptance that Will had never experienced before from anybody else. And there's a scene where Sean is hugging uh, uh, Will, telling him, It's okay. It's not your fault. It's okay. You know, like Will, we also may tend to put up certain spiritual facade in front of God and uh, towards others, you know, for acceptance or for self-protection, perhaps. And we may also fail to trust Jesus and fail you know, him in a variety of ways. And sometimes we may feel like there's no faith left in us. We're bankrupt spiritually. But the Jesus that we see in this passage is that he stays with us all throughout. He never leaves us. And he grows us and he brings us into full healing. Because he has paid for our sins that we uh, deserve. And he uh, grows us progressively unto perfection. So the truth is, my friends, at this point, if you feel far from God, if you feel like your faith also you know, feels like bankrupt right now, just know in your heart that Jesus is still staying with you. He never casts you out. In his grace and patience, he will walk with you unto completion. We, on our part, need to keep coming to him and allow him to change us and trust that he will grow us. We live by his grace, not by what we do ultimately. The faithfulness of the Lord. And lastly, the remembrance of the Lord. So As Jesus patiently grows us in our faith, in this passage, he says to do one thing that can facilitate the growth. And that one thing, as we'll see, is remember. Verses 18 and 20, or through 20, it says, Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear, and do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Seven. Here Jesus is exhorting the disciples to remember the two magnificent you know, miracles where Jesus fed the five thousand and four thousand with only little food. And he is telling them to remember especially how much you know leftover food they witnessed. Uh, because that that must have been more vivid experience, right? They saw, you know, uh, twelve baskets full of leftover food and seven you know basket, basket full of leftover food and they saw that and they really experienced the magnitude of uh, his miracles and as they remember uh, these moments uh, i'm sure first they uh realized how futile uh their worries were you know earlier they're worried about not bringing enough food and they they must have realized oh wait Jesus multiplied all this food uh, for all these people. Why was I, were we worried? But the main point of the miracles were not that you know, Jesus was the genie in a bottle. The main point that they should have gotten uh, is the fact that um, you know, Jesus is the Almighty God. That's what these miracles are pointing to who he is, how he rules over the nature, and he cares for his people. Who he is was what they should have remembered. And now that they are recalling these memories, you know, they must have been reminded of who Jesus is and they have their faith more emboldened in Jesus. Here's the fact, here's why Jesus is telling us to do this, remember, because we are some forgetful people. You know my memory is getting worse and worse as I grow older. But we as we are are very forgetful. Unless we intentionally try to remember things, you know, we will constantly forget who God is and who we are in Christ. And by remembering the past works of God, you know, we get to grow uh, in uh, understanding who Jesus is and get to have Uh, more faith in him. And you see, that's why throughout the Bible, God instituted uh, certain days and ceremonies throughout the salvation history so that his people can remember and have greater faith in him. One example is the Passover. Let me share with you Exodus 12, uh, 14, uh, and 26-27. Uh, Here's one of the uh, holidays that God instituted so that people will remember. It says, This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for He passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when He struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. You see that's also why you know we uh, in, in this um, time of history, we observe Christmas and Easter, you know not that we get any special brownie points for Going to these services, but no, these days and you know uh, observations help us remember the great works of God in the past for our salvation. It increases our faith. That's how we do it. Remember. Now I was talking with my parents a few months ago. Now, at that time, uh, my dad was not available to talk to us, and my mom was explaining why. You know, he, she was saying that, you know, that they had set aside this one day that day as a memorial day, uh, you know, for our family receiving uh, the, the green cards uh, a few decades ago. So my parents were, you know, taking turns, you know, fasting and praying uh, this day. Uh, to commemorate how God provided for our family, and when I heard that uh, through our, our chat, you know, I had, had a flood of emotion at the time. Uh, I think I might have shared this with you um, here and there. But my family and I, my family and I, came to the States only one year after uh, 9/11, so it was the year of 2002, and the 9/11 happened the year before, 2001 as you can imagine, because of all the fears uh, about terrorism at the time, that the path to immigration at the time was virtually closed off, like almost entirely. But in some miraculous uh, ways, you know, we were able to apply for green cards, and and within, you know, five-ish years, we were able to receive the green cards. It was literally a miracle, as, as I recall it. Uh, And at the same time, you know, you can imagine it was tremendous trials and really dark seasons of my life. You know, I was only a teenager, and I did a lot of crazy things to survive for my family. Uh, And same thing for my rest of my family, too. Looking back, of course, God used those dark times to, uh, you know, really challenge us to depend on him utterly, entirely. And that's what he did, and that's how he grew. You know, so as I commemorate this, this day you know, with my mom at the time when she was telling me all these things, I really came to appreciate um, you know, God's care for me and my family throughout our life. I think I just had this like, a, you know, panoramic picture of like, all the things that happened in my life, you know, one by one. Whoa, God really provided for me. God really spoke to me in this situation. It really spoke to me through these passages. My goodness, he loves us. But more than that, I realized it's not just about things that he gave us. He really met us, and he really grew us to get to know him personally, and he let us grow so that we don't depend on these things, but we get to know and understand that our life is not about getting these things, but about surrendering what we want for what he wants. Man, God was so good to us and my family. And that conversation and that commemoration helped me to see who God was and who who he has been. And that increased my faith. And that was a good moment. That's what, again, remembering does to you. And my challenge to us, uh, even as we go into our time of uh, Lord's Supper, which is al- al- also about remembrance, I, I do want to challenge us, I do want to encourage us, a- as we are about to have Thanksgiving holiday. I think it's a very precious holiday in, in, in America, where you know we have this opportunity to remember <laughs> all the past works of God in our lives, would you please remember, maybe even list all the milestones in your life, perhaps especially your, in your faith journey? How did God meet you? How did God even challenge you? Think of even the trials that you went through. How did you grow? How did God use your tears during those times to make you mature? only God can do that right he redeems tough times and ask yourself as you think about those moments uh, which characteristic of God did you get to learn more of through those moments and i think as you do that you may really experience um, you know God's faithfulness in your life despite your failures and successes or whatever and how his faithful to you he grows you he loves you and your heart will be filled with wonder of Jesus Christ and you will grow that's how God deepens our faith let's pray together